steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs, sideline, touchdown. Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, we're going to be spending the majority of this show talking about the NFL schedule release for the year of 2020 as it pertains to your Minnesota Vikings. So we'll go week by week, do the same type of thing that you've probably seen around, and we will break down each individual game, and we'll talk about the biggest games where the Vikings have openings, kind of swing games, if you will. And we'll do our just our general analysis week by week for the schedule. In addition to that, and I imagine this is probably going to be a trend for you know the foreseeable future here, we'll start going through some of the prospects, 15 of them, plus the undrafted guys that the Vikings brought in. And we'll take a deeper look into these players, uh, give you more firm analysis as opposed to the highlights that you can read off of Google. Um, and today we're going to start with Nate Stanley, the quarterback from Iowa. Uh, because I read the comments section on Daily Norseman, just like I said, and I made an agreement with one of our re- uh, listeners on there, or former listeners, I suppose. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I told him that I would listen, I would go deeper into Nate Stanley because my analysis was not up to snuff, and I agree with him to a degree because I hadn't watched nearly enough of his film. I'm coming back here with three games full. I watched every piece of meaningful football that Nate Stanley played at Iowa last season. Uh, so I feel like I can give a more constructive analysis of his play and kind of his future in Minnesota and the NFL as, as a whole. So that is the game plan for today. Um, let's start with the NFL schedule and we'll uh, finish the show off with Nate Stanley. So unless you live under a rock, you are well aware that the NFL schedule was, was released over ESPN. What was it? About a week ago now. Um, the Vikings schedule, of course, was released. By the way, by the way, let's just let's just mention this: a three-hour show for a schedule release is just ridiculous. Like, yes. I know there's no sports on. I know that there's nothing else to watch. But, <laughs> but, like, so the funny thing is, the Vikings, like, I think their Twitter account, social media accounts, released their whole schedule at six thirty, right, mm-hmm. Central Time. The show started at seven, so everybody knew already before the three-hour right. show started. I didn't watch any of that because I already knew what I wanted to know at 6.30 and a lot more based on the leaks that we saw on Twitter and whatnot well before 6.30. So, the you know, I guess kudos to ESPN for using that three hours uh, to tell people what they already knew. Did you see um, – I saw – do you follow the account Awful Announcing? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about at least? I, I, I know for sure what you're talking about. I don't consume okay. a lot of the content, but yeah. Yeah, so they do if you don't if you're interested in this, they do a lot of kind of media releases for media people, right? So like for example, when Master Tesfasian, the guy who used to work yeah. for the Star Tribune and now works for Bleach Report, when he signed his extension, they released the information about okay. his extension with Bleach Report. So that's kind of what they do. They did um, they in, did an interview with Scott Van Pelt recently, and Van Pelt was talking about kind of how you do Sports Center when there's no sports. And 
essentially what he said was hilarious because first of all it's Scott Van Pelt and he's just an inherently oh, yeah. funny he's person. Oh yeah, he's fantastic anyway. Exactly. Yeah, and he was just basically saying like, you know, we're gonna bleed this dry as much as we can. Like it's hard to fa- to to fill hours of content. So in this situation that we find ourselves in during quarantine, or you know, if you're in Arizona, uh, I don't know what you're in now, um, then there's just not that much content to work with in the first place. So you have to do three hour shows on the NFL schedule release because you know people are going to watch it and the fact that you guys have consumed so much NFL scheduling stuff already my and I shouldn't say you guys I should say all of us and we're going to continue to look at it and have interest in it I mean that says it all you can, mm-hmm. you can sell ads for that stuff so as ridiculous as it is I mean it's not wrong either but uh, let's get into this our analysis here our analysis of the Vikings schedule uh And then we'll kind of get into how we see the season playing out as of what, what is it today? May 13th. So starting with week one, the Vikings get off with a bang immediately. They start off with the Green Bay Packers playing at home. It is a noon game. Shockingly, I feel like this game definitely had the potential to be an immediate blockbuster event, like at least a three o'clock start time or, you know, a Sunday night football wouldn't be out of the question if I guess if it wasn't week one, but that's the that's the first matchup, and it, it this is a bender break matchup just immediately, right? I mean, we saw how much of a detriment it was for the Vikings last season, heading into the last quarter of the year with losses against the Bears and the Packers. How you know how much that changed the dynamic heading into the postseason? So yes, you're not going to lose your entire football season in Week One, but this is definitely still a swing game. Am I right? Yeah, I mean. And the, so the problem I have with the way the schedule sets up, the big problem I have is the way that – so there's obviously the concern about fans and when they can be allowed in stadiums, if they can be allowed in stadiums. Right. Um, you know, I, I my thought is that the NFL is going to try and make it as fair as possible. So, like, you know, for example, right now, L.A. County, like, just extended their stay at home until – through the end of July. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, let's say they get extended through September or something. I would imagine that would mean – the entire NFL will not allow fans through September, right? They're not just going to screw over the LA teams like that. My opinion. But um, with that said, so the Vikings have, I think, their two toughest home games in the first three weeks of the season. Green Bay, Tennessee uh, in week one and week three. So I don't like that about the schedule. If there is, let's say, first four weeks, no fans. Um, Because that Vikings-Packers week one, like that should be the most electric atmosphere of the season, really, for all the Vikings home games. Uh, you get this division rival. This rivalry, by the way, is like inchy closer, if not above that, the Bears-Packers uh, kind of level of, of rivalry and, and hatred for the other side. I think the Vikings are getting there and catching up to the Bears in that aspect. And, you know, both these teams clearly are kind of the top two in terms of the favorites to win the division. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just there's everything you would want about that game, uh, you know, going into it and – uh, it, it's possible there's no fans there. That would take so much out of it for the Vikings. And then on the flip side, you could have the Packers later in the season playing at home against the Vikings with fans. I don't like that disadvantage that the Vikings might have to deal with there. So, But, yeah, I mean, last season, I remember this specifically. Week two, Vikings went to Lambeau and lost. And I, right there, declared the NFC North over. I said the Packers are, have yeah. won the division. It's over. And, and I said you were wrong. Well, I mean – was it, was I, it, I disagree with early, you. Yeah, was it too early for me to say that? Probably. But were you right? Yeah, I, I was would right say you because were. Yeah. These divisional games matter so, so much. As we saw, Vikings were really good 
against teams not in the NFC North last season. But they lost to the Bears twice, lost to the Packers twice, two and four in the division, and then they finished ten and six and don't get a home playoff game. That's going to be the difference most of the time. Is he's play he's getting a home playoff game? Uh, you know that 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 swing is to, is decided by winning your divisional games. So that week one game, it's not going to be you know make or break because the Vikings made the playoffs last year, but it will be critical to their chances of actually playing a home game in the playoffs. Right. Okay. So we can we can agree then that this isn't make or break in terms of making the playoffs. However, this could ultimately prove to be the difference in a wild card versus a division win, which I certainly agree with, and I think most of you listening probably agree with as well. This is this is as important of a game as you're going to find, and this is the hottest ticket in Minnesota too. By the way, just for the record out there, like yeah. I understand that there may not be seats available, like there. We might, you know, the Vikings might not sell seats to this game, based off the circumstances that are, you know, unfortunately, that we have to deal with as a community here. But this is still the like this is the biggest game. This is this is the game. This is the game that the Wilfs make the most money on. So from that perspective, I know it doesn't un- uh, affect the on-field performance, but from just the amount of money they could lose on just ticket sales by not having fans at this game. That sucks. So I think the point that you made about, you know, earlier about how you're playing this game so early in the season and we can almost guarantee at this point that these that the first couple weeks are not going to be played with fans if they're played at all. That at least that's like I you know, I'm not I, I'm not a I'm not political. just that's the way it's going because but that's I the way it's going. See, yes. I can't see the NFL just telling the LA teams, oh, that sucks for you. Like you can't have fans. Oh, the Chargers have been doing that for a couple of years now. But <laughs> you can't just say that the LA teams just don't get their fans, and then the rest of the league does. Right. And it looks like that's the way it's going, based on the way things are being governed in California. That uh, they right. they're on lockdown mode like for a while now. So right? this is going to affect like, Georgia, Texas, like all these other states are opening up all the way, pretty much. You know, it's just so different, and I can't imagine the NFL would screw over a team based on. Differences they in they literally, they literally can't. Like it's not, it's providing an advantage to one club over another. So this right. is going to ultimately reflect negatively on teams like Minnesota or New Orleans, well, for example, who have, plays really well at home. Well, teams, well, a the teams have the best home field advantages, like Minnesota, the Saints, uh, plus See. the teams that have their most significant home games early in the season. Right. Which I think the Vikings have a couple of big ones with Green Bay and Tennessee mm-hmm. um, at home right away in the first three weeks of the season. So that's why I hate the schedule for the way it worked out for the Vikings. I would much prefer to have, you know, Green Bay, Chicago, and Tennessee all at the end of the season for home games, which Chicago is week 15. So at least the Vikings got that. But uh, it's it's unfortunate that it worked out this way to where their most important games, the decent chance that there is no fans there for them. So we've spent about five minutes so far talking about the Packers game, and we have yet to talk about what's going to happen on the actual field, which should say yeah. a lot about kind of the situation that the Vikings are, you know, getting because of COVID nineteen and yeah. um, the res- you know the resulting consequences from that. But you know, assuming that this game is played in front of fans, or assuming I, I guess I shouldn't say that because that's not even a f- practical analysis of what this game is going to look like because of what you just said. The, Okay, assuming the circumstances that we kind of are living in now, that this game, if it is played on September 13th, chances are unlikely that it's going to be played in front of fans. Do the Vikings still win this football game with no fans at the stadium? 
I mean, I tend to lean yes. I mean, I, I'll tend to in the you know most recently, I tend to lean the home team in the Packers Vikings rivalry. Uh, that's just the way I've been picking these games the last few years now. Um, as long as Rodgers is on the field, because now the strange thing is, prior to 2019, Kirk Cousins would absolutely dominate the Packers. Uh, whether he's a Redskin, whether he's a Viking, he had lit up the Packers uh, pretty much every time he steps on the field against them, right? And then in 2019, probably his two worst games as, a, as an right. NFL professional quarterback were against Green Bay. So I don't know what to expect there. Um, but I, I, and the Vikings have so much to replace. We, I, it's so much to, to digest and, and but they unpack do too. before that happens. But they do too. And they don't have any rookies that are going to do that, which is the fun part. And the Vikings do have guys that could fill those spots. That's a big hypothetical because we know how rookies can or cannot – perform to what their expectations are so uh it, the vikings are i think the packers are way easier to predict in 2020 than the vikings are uh i think they're the packers are nine or nine or ten wins i'd put a lot of money on that being the the results for the green bay packers minnesota could go above or below those marks quite a bit uh just because of how many spots are being replaced and the fact that so many of them are going to be rookies so I think the Packers have less volatility in terms of what their final season record can look like. You know, like I think you're right that it's probably they're probably in the eight to ten range, whereas the Vikings are more in like the six to eleven range. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, it's, there's just so much to unpack with the Vikings yet, especially like training camp. Like, will that even happen? If yes. it doesn't, that probably it, hurts the Vikings quite a bit. A lot. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm gonna give the Vikings a win as well because I. My anal- my objective analysis tells me that the Vikings will be better prepared week one than the Packers are. Just because of the situation that they have in place and the players that they're kind of like the, the frontal lobe of the Vikings. What makes them go, that's all basically the same with the exception of the cornerback position. And I think the Vikings have done a good enough job neutralizing those issues Given the fact that the Packers didn't draft an elite receiver to burn the Vikings more than Devontae Adams is, if you slow down Devontae Adams, you might be able to slow down this entire offense because the running game is very good. That's also where the Vikings generally play well, too. And the and I expect them to defend the run well again this year. So, Especially if there's less carries being given to Aaron Jones, which it sounds like there is. kills <laughs> the Vikings, yes, exactly. So um, I'm going to go win against Green Bay as well. Uh, let's move on to week two. It's against the Colts. Far less fun game just in terms of like a rivalry yeah, matchup. It could be fun, though, because Phillip Rivers is playing quarterback for the Colts. That could good, be fun. That's an excellent point. I actually – I was looking through – I don't know if you ever do this, but once in a while I go down a rabbit hole of like my own tweets where I'm like – I go through like – I look through kind of situations that that occurred and then see what I said during those situations. Okay. And one of my tweets from last year was about Chargers football games because I watched the Chargers every single Sunday if I had the opportunity to because they are the most electric team in the world to watch with under two minutes in the game. No pun intended. Electric yeah. Chargers. <laughs> you stole my line. Um, <laughs> and Philip Rivers is the backbone of what makes them exciting. So that's a good point. But Indianapolis, historically, not that much fun. They're playing on the road at Lucas Oil. It's an AFC opponent. It's The game is considerably less meaningful relative to a 17-week 17, 17 schedule, of course, in 16 games. But it could, be, it could be fun. I mean, you're going to see a lot of new faces in this Colts organization as well. 
Phillip Rivers, of course, being the highlight there. But you've got Michael Pittman coming in now as well to play wide receiver. The T.Y. Hilton era could be a look a lot different moving forward. You know, to the fact that Jacoby Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor could be a lot of fun as well. I mean, this is they have as much to iron out with their rookies, like their key rookies, the guys that are going to play a, a going to have a focal point in their offense and defense next season, as the Vikings do. You know, the Vikings have Justin Jefferson. Well, the Colts have you know Jonathan Taylor or Michael Pittman. Uh, a lot of these pieces they need to come together, so they have a lot of the same questions in terms of experience level that the that the Vikings do. So, with all that being said. Do the Vikings get out of week two, two and zero, oh, based off of our predictions? I'm saying yes, and it's, I think it's just because of Rivers. Uh, I, I think <laughs> that 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 game last December has made a significant mark uh, in my brain. Uh, what everything Rivers did to give the ball to the Vikings in that game. The Colts are different. I get that, and their roster is actually really good. Uh, I'm I'm I will eternally be sad about Andrew Luck retiring, just as that roster got good. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just don't. I don't rivers at this age. It seems like his, his game has dropped off significantly. I would not have paid him $25 million. Um, so I'm going to go with the Vikings here on the road, which I don't like doing most of the time, but I, I do with Philip rivers. Okay. I want it on record that I do love Philly cheese. I think that he's a hall of fame quarterback and he's outstanding. That being said, if he plays like he did last season, the Vikings are winning this football game. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. not just the matchup against the Vikings last year. It's, Philip Rivers versus the world last year. It was yeah. a two-minute drill every single week. If you are going to go back and watch film from 2019, make sure you put on the Los Angeles Chargers because it is the most exciting football you're going to find if you can be an objective fan about it and you don't care about the outcome of the game. Because the Chargers, every week, it came down to about seven points, it felt like, and Philip Rivers always shit the bet. It was every single week. They needed to score, put together, put together a drive in the last two or three minutes, and every time there was a... A spectacular fail. It was a back-breaking interception, like, within 10 yards of being, you know, a game-winning touchdown every single week. And so I expect the same thing. I mean, Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris are still out there as far as I know. I mean, it's going to happen. He's going to throw interceptions. It's probably going to happen against the Vikings, and it's probably going to happen week two. So I've got the Vikings winning as well. So both Drew and myself, through two weeks, had the Vikings at 2-0, which moves us to week number three. I know that the Vikings are getting probably a loss here on your record because you are basically a Titans fan at this point. Uh, the Vikings host the Tennessee Titans at what is likely to be, as we have now recklessly speculated, likely will be an empty stadium at U.S. Bank. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I'm picking Tennessee. And now, of course. So, okay, let's just let's, let's rethink about this, all right? Tennessee entered the AFC playoffs last year. They won uh, – who did they beat on the – they beat the Baltimore Ravens on the road, right? Beat New England on the road. Ended the New England Patriots, essentially. Ended the dynasty. They did. That's um, funny. Then they right went to Baltimore them. and beat the number one team in the AFC on the road. Uh, and then, I guess for uh, two quarters, two and a half quarters, three quarters, they battled with Kansas City um, on the road. But, okay, the, the big reason here is is Derrick Henry against the Vikings interior defensive line. I don't know who, I mean, Shamar Stefan. Michael Pierce is, is a good addition, definitely, on uh, the interior. Still um, question marks there, though. There's still definitely know. question marks, and the Vikings all last season struggled to stop the run. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones went all over him. Um, Seattle went all over the Vikings. Damian Williams for the Chiefs did. that. Those, that's the reason they lost so many games last year. And Ryan Tannehill, uh, when he's not hanging it off, is actually very efficient throwing the ball. At least he was in 2019. So going Tennessee, they don't seem to have a drop-off in performance on the road, uh, and I don't think they'll be as affected 
in a home environment if there's fans there, um, as maybe other teams would. So to me, the swing element of this game is whether or not there's fans in the stadium. Straight up. I think that yeah. makes all the difference in this game because if you have fans screaming at Ryan Tannehill, he does not operate as well. Straight up. He just doesn't. Like, look it up. You can't – fact check me on that one. Ryan Tannehill is not as great away. So – Probably true. It is facts. Um, and the way that Tennessee operates, I mean, they just basically play the same – they try to do the same fundamental style of winning as the Vikings do. They just do it better. Straight up. Like they try to run the football and allow the passing game to sort of manage the clock. Play as action, a, deep ball. Tannehill was tremendous last year. Their, their, their offense is very similar to the Minnesota Vikings. But they year. just did it better. And they did it considerably better. I mean, they like you said, they beat New England. They beat Baltimore. Until further notice, they're as good as anyone in the AFC. And granted, the one thing that I will say is that running backs, as we all know, tend to drop off very quickly. And you very rarely see a season like Derrick Henry's repeated. You know, if you remember Adrian Peterson's 2,000-yard season, the next one was like 1,300 yards, which grand <laughs> scheme, so pretty good. amazing, pretty amazing, but a, but a pretty significant drop-off nonetheless, right? So I'm going to give this one to Tennessee as well against my better judgment just because I'm going to assume there will be no fans there, and to me that gives Tennessee the edge because they're playing on a neutral field essentially as opposed to an away field, and that to me is the difference against Tennessee. Which leads us to week four. Houston Texans, this one is also on the road, facing off against Bill O'Brien's revamped Houston yeah, Texans. Yeah. No DeAndre Hopkins anymore. He now plays for the Arizona Cardinals. Deshaun Watson is still your quarterback. And now Laramie Tunsil is paid about double what he was making last year. But that's essentially – this is the Titans from last year minus their best offensive skill player, basically. And to me, I would lean that this is a – you know, if you're going to play on the road in week four, so beginning of October, I feel like this is a pretty good matchup for the Vikings. Yeah, I I weirdly like Minnesota here, and I usually I won't pick the Vikings on the road against good quarterbacks, but I, I just don't trust Bill O'Brien straight up. I don't. And what he's done with this team, like he has I, – I, I don't get it. And, like, I'm trying to – so he adds David Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. Where is he going to fit in with Lamar Miller? Still a thing, by the way. Heads a person. I think he's. Then, I think he's a free agent. I think they let him go. He, okay. Duke Johnson's still there. Um, yep. And then, like Will Fuller's not playing because he's going to be hurt. Yeah. So, I, I don't see. You know, it's almost like he's like Bill O'Brien's like okay, Deion, uh, okay, Deshaun Watson, do what Aaron Rodgers does in Green Bay and just have no weapons at all. Uh, and he has and Brandon Cooks, which they traded, you know, the house for, by the way. But yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, I'm going Minnesota. If DeAndre Hopkins was was on the roster, I might think differently. Uh, but the fact that the Vikings, I feel like the corners for Minnesota, what is on the roster, could actually match up okay with what Houston would offer in that Cooks, game. In terms of it'd be Cooks, Stills, and yeah. Will Fuller's going to be hurt. I, I, I think it's funny that we can say that like with a straight face that Will Fuller will be hurt for this game. Like we're not predicting anything. It's just that's just how Will Fuller is in the NFL. I'm not the saying he's a bad player. No way the hamstring lasts four weeks into the season. Absolutely not. And they also have Randall Cobb, by the way. So that's, oh, I didn't even know that. But yeah. how good is he still? He's fine. He's very fine. And he's also you know if there's if there's a, a receiver that the Vikings can match up with with their current cornerback depth chart, it's probably a guy like Randall Cobb. You know, a slot, a, a pure cooks. slot receiver. You could put Jeff Gladney on him and feel pretty confident. I feel like, even as a rookie. So I'm going to go win as well. That leaves us at three and one. Drew and I have picked the exact same 
results so far through four weeks. Uh, week five, generally, this is looking like the toughest game on the Vikings' schedule for the most part. This is at the Seattle Seahawks. However, we've just complained a bunch about the Vikings not having the ability to have fans in our stadium for our most important games. Well, this is an opportunity here where you can play at CenturyLink Field, which is known as one of the most difficult places to play outside of Kansas City, basically. And they do think that their home field advantage is better than Kansas City. By the way, their Twitter fans will let you know every single day if you say otherwise. This is the one time when it might work to the Vikings' advantage because if you play in Seattle without their home field advantage, it's Russell Wilson against the world, no? It is, uh, but as far as I am concerned right now, Russell Wilson is winning against the world. Uh, <laughs> at least in terms, at least when he plays the Vikings, he hasn't lost to them yet. I have no reason to believe he won't win in, again in this scenario. And if the Vikings can't stop the run, I mean, Pete Carroll and the and the and the Seahawks, like they still just think running the ball is just the only way to win. And the Vikings are kind of at that point too right now, which I don't like. But uh, they're all about running the ball as much as possible. And if they keep doing that and they and it works because the Vikings couldn't stop it last year, uh, they're going to beat them again. So I got Seattle. I'm going to take Seattle too. Uh, DK Met- Metcalf is way bigger than pretty much every corner on the Vikings roster right now. That's a problem. Yeah. That's one problem. Tyler Lockett is an extremely good route runner that does not bode well for rookie quarterbacks. Uh, you've also got Philip Dorsett, who runs like a, a 4-0, basically, and when he's running a 9 route, you know. So that all presents problems, given the Vikings cornerback situation to me. Granted, they do have great over-the-top help in Anthony Harris, so I don't see anyone getting too far over the top, although we have seen that before. And if anyone's going to do it, it's probably Russell Wilson extending a play outside the pocket and throwing something, a Hail Mary prayer downfield and landing yeah. in someone's hands. That's just what's I mean, happened in Wilson the past. Wilson didn't really beat the Vikings through the air last year. It was just that, at least from what I remember, Chris Carson kept getting first downs on like third and three, and like second and seven you know like yeah he just kept getting first downs and it was annoying and then oh Rashad Penny did the same thing too but yeah but they didn't really add anything through the draft it's just that Seattle's team now they drafted stands... like fourth third round prospects in the first and second round just... <laughs> that's very Seattle of them and it still works for him for some reason yeah. I don't know John Schneider seems to have his a good finger on what works in the NFL but I'm going loss as well so that brings the Vikings to three and two through five weeks leading into Atlanta at home a team that every single year, and they make me sound so stupid as a you know a fake analyst, because I think Atlanta's going to be a Super Bowl contender every season. Every single year, I go into the year and I say, Atlanta's got a former MVP quarterback, arguably, well, probably definitively the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, I mean, there's arguments for other guys, but Julio Jones is definitely right there, right? Then you've got great other pieces on Atlanta's uh, roster as well. I mean, you can't... Can't look past uh, what's the the Alabama, the Alabama Calvin Ridley. Really, uh, they also have Laquan Treadwell, by the way. So it's a Laquan Treadwell revenge game. But <laughs> again, I, Todd Gurley is well, there now. It, you heard it all offseason. They now have what ten first round picks starting on offense now. Yeah, and they they added Todd Gurley, and it's like I don't. I mean, and yet they still find a way to be bad every single year, and so. How does Dan Quinn still have a job? Is he still the head coach? He is, yeah. He's not been fired yet. They also added uh, Dante Fowler, so that's another first-round pick, by the way. So, I mean, this team, they drafted A.J. Terrell, who we both liked as a cornerback coming out. I don't think there's any I didn't like him at 16, but yeah. Yeah. He's a good player. He'll start his rookie year. Um, They're still going to find a way to lose the Vikings, like they always do. 
I, there are well, good. This is a Mike good Zimmer, team. Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer owns Matt Ryan, so I have no. I have no concerns about this game. Neither do I. I'm saying Vikings win as well. Again, this is a home game. We are in week six by this point. This is mid-October. I think there's a potential that we have fans at this point too. And then the Vikings get a very timely bye after week six, by the way. So Drew and myself both have the Vikings going four and two, heading into a week seven bye, which ultimately leads up to another game that will prove to be very important but won't feel very important in the moment. Well, it will feel important because it's against Green Bay, but because it's week 8 and not week 16, you won't think of it as a decisive matchup in terms of playoff position. But this game, again, this is very important. This is being played at Lambeau Field, and as I just mentioned, we're now into November, and there very well could be fans at Lambeau Field, whereas the Vikings, you know, as you said before, Vikings may not have fans in their stadium, which kind of creates somewhat of an unfair advantage. However, you are playing against Green Bay. We just assessed them earlier. You know, this is not a very complete Green Bay team. It's a very good team that has Aaron Rodgers and has a questionable coaching situation. I don't, I mean, Packers fans are going to say 13, they're going to scream 13 and 3 at me. Until they're until they're blue in the face. Well, like, but they they were dominant against the Vikings last year for one quarter out of eight. Like there was the first quarter of that first game. Yes, uh, and they weren't dominant against anyone, by the way, for four quarters. No, no. one. It wasn't just mm-hmm. the Vikings. It was no one. They just ended up winning thirteen out of sixteen games somehow. I don't know how they did it, and I don't know. Again, I don't know how they're going to do it again this year. And I just pegged them as a nine or ten win team. So to me, I think this is again a very winnable game. But history tells me the Vikings are going to lose this game against the Packers. At Lambeau, I don't. Uh, I just. I. Ra- I rarely pick the Vikings at Lambeau unless it's it's, it's a scenario where Rodgers is out or something like that. Uh, I'm picking Green Bay, and um, I mean, yeah, I, I see the Vikings and Packers splitting just because I think they're very evenly matched right now, and we saw that last year even in both games, right? Uh, you know, Viking or the Packers got out to a hot start in that first game. Vikings brought it back, and without a couple mistakes from Kirk, you know, Vikings probably win that game. And then, you know, the other game, Vikings had absolutely no offense at all, but the Packers couldn't pull away at all. Like, it was just an ugly game both ways. Um, turnovers on both sides of the field. Packers pulled away with a late touchdown run by Jones. Otherwise, it was a close game, too. So, I got the pa- I'm just going to take the home team in that matchup until further, further notice. Yeah, I'm fine with taking the Packers there as well. That puts the Vikings at 5-2 and two through 8 weeks. 4-3. and 4-3. You're right. <laughs> Sorry. Nah, Moving on to week tough. nine. It, yeah, counting is hard. Um, week nine against Detroit. This one is at home. Do at we have US to talk Bank. about this one? I don't think so, no. I no. think this is just a win across the board. Detroit at home is a win uh, 95% of the time. Yep, that's how it's that's, been That's for Golden the last Tate slipping years. into the end zone, Anya. And that's what it takes for Detroit to beat Minnesota at home. So until further notice, yeah, I think this is a skippable game. Someone will be mad about that. That's okay. Uh, next one, week 10, is at Green – excuse me, at Chicago. Reading is hard now. Uh, this one's at Soldier Field. We know how the Vikings play at Soldier Field. Again, just like we didn't have to talk about the Vikings for sure winning at home against Detroit, I don't think we really need to talk much about the Vikings playing at Chicago because even if Chicago fields Rex Grossman now, they're still going <laughs> to find a way to lose at Soldier Field. Yeah, it, Chase Daniel. I didn't. Okay, Chase Daniel didn't rip them apart last year. It's just that the offense never does anything at at Soldier Field. If you look at all these losses over the years, it's because the offense just doesn't show up. Minnesota's offense. So I'm going to pick the Bears at Soldier Field until 
I don't know, they have the Vikings offense does something well at like even the case Keenum year where they did win randomly out of nowhere. Like that that game was as close because the Vikings had like 14 yards of offense in the first half. <laughs> so I'm picking the Bears in that game to move the Vikings back to five and four. That seems fair to me. And that brings us to Dallas, which, again, last year it was a huge game in terms of determining playoff position. I assume that we will run into a very similar situation with, you know, as as we're predicting the Vikings at 5-4, and four, I imagine Dallas will probably be in a very similar position by Week 11. So, huge game. This one's played at U.S. Bank Stadium. This is a 3 o'clock game for Kirk, who did beat them in primetime last year in Dallas. Now he gets to play at home in, quote, prime time not real prime time but you know what i mean yeah so i like i just want to say this stretch of games coming up this is a three uh game homestand for the vikings here starting in was this week 11 i think yep 11 12 13 which i really like because in the event that the vikings are fluttering around 500 uh at this moment in the season they can really gain some momentum with three home games and kind of launch themselves into a playoff spot with this stretch, I do have the Vikings beating the Cowboys at home. Now, with that said, I think the Cowboys roster is much, much better than Minnesota's. And I am scared of that receiving core uh, against the Vikings secondary. And last year, Dak and that that duo receivers and Gallup and Cooper absolutely dominated Minnesota at uh, at Jerry World. It just happened to be that they decided to go to Zeke Elliott at the end of the game over and over. And it didn't work because, of course, it didn't. So. If they if the if the Cowboys figure out to kind of use CeeDee Lamb now and then Cooper and Michael Gallup, uh, they could light up this Vikings secondary. And I'm scared of that, but I'm gonna take the Vikings at home. Just kind of because they beat Dallas at Dallas and now they're at home and I feel like that's gonna give them the edge. So I don't know if I can't even remember if you just mentioned that, but they add CeeDee Lamb to the fold yeah. as well. So and it's Mike McCarthy calling the shots, not Jason Garrett anymore. So I'm going to give the Vikings a loss Which, here. Is, does that is, I mean is that much different? Like it, I think it matters McCarthy. So I think it matters because Garrett, below average head coach, below average play caller. Okay, Mike McCarthy, maybe average as a head coach, above average as a play caller for sure. And okay. he also Just knows clock management. Yes, both of them had terrible clock management. Absolutely, but McCarthy knows the Vikings and he has played well in yeah. the Vikings, and now he has three receivers and. I don't want to say Dak is MVP caliber because he's not on Lamar Jackson. He'll put up MVP numbers, though. He will. He will definitely do that, but he's not He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Pat Mahomes. He's not Russell Wilson, but he's in that next tier, and he's going to put up the statistics to back up those kind of being yeah. that same level. If he's playing. It might be Andy Dalton, for all we know, if they don't get that oh, contract. Oh, don't even. You have, you, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen, like, the Dak versus Wentz stuff on Twitter? Oh, yeah. God. These other, other Wentz people are saying that Dak's not even the best quarterback on his team and all this stuff. Oh, it's great. <laughs> okay, so loss for me. That's the first time Drew and I have disagreed. Week 12 is against Carolina. This is a Teddy Bridgewater revenge game. Put this one on your calendar. 11:29 November 29th at noon the Vikings host Teddy Bridgewater as the starting quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. Should be a fun game really. I mean, you got Matt Rule as the head coach. Carolina is a very interesting team across they're the board. They're sneaky. It sucks that they're in the NFC North or actually the NFC South because they're gonna they die. have like in a different division they could sneak up and win it. Like if they're in the NFC North they could sneak up and win that division because the NFC North I think could be a 9 and 7, you know, have a 9 and 7 champion this year. Um so Coming into this game, I think I'm at six and four, and you're at five and five, right? Yep. Um, I'm taking the Vikings at home against the Panthers, but I, I, I'm 
what I've what I've said about the Panthers is true. I think they're sneaky. You got Teddy at quarterback. You have uh, obviously McCaffrey at running back. Who I, I mean, I don't like paying a, a running back sixteen million a year, but um, still a stud, still a problem. Mm-hmm. And then you have some solid receivers. You got Robbie Anderson is now there. Uh, Curtis Samuel and um, DJ Moore. That's a solid trio to to work with there. So that's that can be a dangerous offense. Uh, but I'll take the Vikings at home. So I'm going to take Carolina. I'm not going to offer anything other than this. Teddy Bridgewater is going to beat the Vikings. That's Ooh, it. Okay. I don't. I don't have any. There's no facts to support it. Uh, I don't have any sort of you know objective or subjective for that matter reasoning to support my claim. I'm just saying. Teddy Bridgewater finds a way. He's like Tim Tebow in the sense that, like, he just gets stuff done, and you don't really understand why sometimes. And he is I mean, the eleven and five season in twenty fifteen. Kind of, you know, explains that a little bit. And then also the fact that, that offense, he went five and zero last line. year. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, that offensive line, oh, that offensive line, and that offense in twenty fifteen was so. He just he just um, wins, and it's literally like when we make the thirty for thirty for Teddy Bridgewater after he's a Hall of Famer ten years from now. <laughs> Bold prediction, I know. But when we make I mean, that I thirty like for the guy thirty, too, but my, this is a different level. But carry when on. we make that thirty for thirty about his injury and his comeback from injury and his ability to become a starter again, it will hit the apex with him beating the Minnesota Vikings on the road as a member of the Carolina Panthers. So that, like, for his narrative, this game needs to fall in Carolina's favor. So I'm going Carolina, which brings me to four and six. Drew at six and five four. And six. Five and six. Four and six. Five and six. Okay. Right? Something like that. We're, we'll, we'll You're both five out. and four. You're both five and four after uh, after uh, the Bears game. And then I said, okay, so five. I got two losses. I got two wins from there. Okay. Okay. We could figure that out. I think. Okay. <laughs> Moving on to week 13 here. This is Jacksonville. This is the what matters here, not us trying to figure out what our record prediction is. Uh, at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars, this is one of the worst teams in the NFL, I think. They're they might not win a game. They might they not, might win, not a win a game. We say I'm that every year play. about someone. It's got to be someone, but Jacksonville is this team. I'm saying the Vikings win. I imagine you are as well. That brings us to one of the more exciting games uh, in terms of just how polarizing this team has become. And that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Weeks 14. Tom Brady is in Tampa Bay now, if you haven't heard. Uh, also, that guy Rob Gronkowski is there as well. And they just drafted the two best Minnesota Gopher prospects in many of our minds in Antoine Woodfield Jr. And the wide receiver whose name's escaped me, Tyler Johnson. Johnson. Thank you. How can you, how can you forget that last name? That's, that's the most common last name. That's why I forgot playing. it is because it's not it's not super unique. Anyways, the point being here is that this is a very exciting matchup for most Minnesota f- natives, I suppose, because Gophers fans as well. You're not um, a Gopher fan, so it, it, I'm it's, not. it's yeah. acceptable. Yeah, I don't. And I'm, I'm not a Gopher fan either. Kind Who, of. Uh, does Tom Brady get the best of the Vikings? Yes. Yeah, I think he does too. I'm I'm a Buccaneers believer, by the way. That's why I said that about the NFC South. Like I think that divi- like. The Saints, obviously really good. Can't wait to see how they lose spectacularly in the playoffs, but really good team. Tampa Bay is good, I think. I think their defense was stellar last season. And then you, you know, now you give them a quarterback that won't throw 35 interceptions and a tight end that's maybe the best of all time. The, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think Tampa Bay is is going to contend with New Orleans for that division. So uh, I'm picking Tampa Bay in that game. 
It's also on the road in Florida, and Florida doesn't have, doesn't follow rules, so they're going to have fans there. Uh, the next yeah. game on the <laughs> on the slate here is Chicago. This one's at home. So, given Chicago's current standing, I mean, I'm going to pick Chicago to beat the Vikings no matter who's at quarterback when they're at Soldier Field. But yeah. I don't care if it's Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky, whatever. I've got the Vikings winning with Week 15 at home, yeah. probably I mean, in a very important game as well. The Vikings second team almost beat them last year week 17 against Trubisky so uh, I'll take Minnesota in this one excellent I don't think there's a whole lot more to say we've already covered the Bears once here um, week 16 the Vikings kind of have a, a, a tough way to end the year uh, it starts and it's week 16 it, it I don't really like s- it either it, end, it, it's, I, I don't like I'm gonna I don't like the schedule at all I, don't, <laughs> I hate it because I, you got three the three primetime games or I guess you want to call it Saints game primetime yeah on the road they don't get a home a primetime game. I hate that because that diminishes the home field advantage. You get your two home fi- or your your most important home games out of the way: Packers and Titans, probably without fans. Yep. Another way to diminish the home field advantage, and then you end the season with, uh, you know, week sixteen, really tough road game at New Orleans, um, and then you wrap it up with another divisional game on the road. Don't like that. I don't like how that that shakes out for the Vikings. I I, I don't like anything about this. Neither do I. Um... And you play the Saints at the Superdome, probably going to be packed with fans by December 25th, a.k.a. Christmas, as we all know. I'm – okay, as much as everything in the world says the Saints are going to win this game, that that's exactly what happened last year. So I'm going to take yeah. the Vikings to win this game. And it's again, this is this this is the same analysis that I just used for Carolina. I'm just using a gut judgment based off of kind of the historical precedent that has been set in just my mind. There's no factual evidence behind a lot of this stuff. It's just I have seen the Vikings overcome adversity time and time and time and time and time again since that 2009 NFC Championship game against the New Orleans Saints. We are their daddy since 2009. It's like they are cursed against Minnesota since you know. They should be cursed, really, but it's like that they are. I mean, we find a way, and not we, the Vikings find a way to beat the Saints every single year without fail. It's just, I don't, there's no explanation for it half the time. I mean, Kirk Cousins leads his first ever game-winning drive, basically. In the playoffs, for In sure. the playoffs, okay. Then you've got the Minneapolis Miracle, which is self-explanatory. I don't need to say anything more about how ridiculous that play was and why that should not have ever happened under any circumstances. It, the Vikings find a way to beat the Saints. It doesn't make sense. There's no there's no PFF number for it, okay? But they always find a way to win, so I'm taking the Vikings against the Saints in Week 16. I'm taking the Saints because that has to run on eventually, right? Uh, and it's not a playoff game. That happens in the playoffs. Uh, the regular season, Vikings lose to the Saints. Uh, 2018 when Kirk th- – well, that game was weird too, though, because Brees threw for like 12 yards, and they still won by a lot. But uh, I'm taking – Taking the uh, the Saints in that game, uh, just because Vikings on the road against a good team most of the time doesn't work. Most of the time. Most of the time. And that's fair. That's probably the right way to assess this game. I don't care. So let's move on to Week 17 here. The final game. This is on the road at Ford Field against the Detroit Lions, who, again, Matt Patricia is still the coach. I can't imagine he is by Week 17, You know, given the way that he has sort of gone since he arrived in Detroit. Yeah. I also think this this is you know the way that I have just laid out my schedule, this is a meaningful game for the Vikings, so I think they're going to play it. They're going to play with all their starters. But and I imagine this is going to be a win. I don't see 
I just don't see the Vikings losing to Detroit at all this year. They're just not good enough yet, and they need to get yeah. rid of their coach to be good enough, in my opinion. I think, yeah, I think Detroit can be sneak. Like, I think they they drafted okay. Their roster is not terrible. I mean, they they were so poor last year because Stafford was out for a lot of the season. So, and they had David Blau playing quarterback. <laughs> so, I I could see the reason. I, I almost want to pick Detroit in this game. I'm going to take the Vikings, um, but I think it's closer than a lot of people think. And if you remember right, last year. Week 17, the Packers, I think, had to win at Ford Field to, I think, secure the number two seed. And they went to overtime with the Lions. And I believe Blau was still playing quarterback in that game. So, it, it, I mean, they're pesky. Uh, and maybe they have renewed life with a new coach at that point. I don't know. But I'll take the Vikings cautiously in that one. So, kind of the different the difference maker for me is I have the Vikings coming into that game at 8-7. and seven. Based off of just the analysis. They got my nine and six at that point. Yeah, so that game to me is like the difference between getting into the playoffs and not getting into right. the playoffs, basically. And the Vikings have, for the most part, in my lifetime, have done pretty well in Week 17. You know, if you, I, the one that you know comes to mind for me is you know the Week 17 game where Adrian Peterson almost broke the rushing yeah. record and they found also a way to beat him much better. 2015 yeah. Lambo. They just find a way to do it in Week 17. Basically, Again, since the uh, Nate Pool. Uh, Cardinals game since yeah. then they've done okay week, week 17 but I think that puts me at 10 and 6 for the record which is actually a lot better than I thought I would have predicted I haven't gone through actually game by game yet and done right that's actually better than I would have thought and that probably gets them into the playoffs because there's seven playoff teams now in the NFC um and then it looks like you're at nine and seven which is weird which for I me also think would be in the playoffs too I do too but that that's that's generally strange for me because I'm typically the one who's a little bit more optimistic for the Vikings uh, but both of us have them sure, in the playoffs. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, th- that's kind of what I'm looking at for the schedule. By the way, I think both of us, like both, so your 9-7 nine seven record, my 10-6 record, I think in both scenarios that could be the NFC North win. Because uh, Green Bay, I, I, like I said, I think they're a 9-10 nine nine win team. And depending on how the tiebreaker shakes out. You I've know, got the Vikings going 4-2 and two in the division. You also have the Vikings going 4-2 and two in the division. That generally is probably going to be enough. I mean, I'm not looking. I don't have Chicago or Green Bay schedule in front of me, but four and six in the NFC North is generally going to get it done. If you split with the other team that's, you know, contending with you. Well, it depends if they also go forward to the division. You know, I right. mean, they're going to play the same schedule in the division. But then it's after that. I think it's, you know, like for example, where the Vikings get screwed here. I think is the Packers instead of playing the, the Cowboys, will play the Eagles this year. Yeah. which I think is a much easier matchup for Green Bay because I think the Philly roster is much easier to stack up with, you know, so, yeah, so sure. stuff like that um, is just, you know, and now like Minnesota gets to play Seattle, but then the on the other side of that coin is the Packers play at San Francisco, I think on a primetime night, which definitely didn't work out for them last year, both or ever. So yeah, or ever. So um, it's just, that's how it, yeah, I, I, I think the Packers and Vikings will be very, very, uh, They'll be very close and in contention with one another throughout the season for the division, and they'll finish at nine and seven, ten and six, somewhere in there for the division. So let's finish up this kind of uh, over analysis of a schedule release, which again yeah. ridiculous. But uh, let's finish <laughs> that up. With, <laughs> let's finish that up with just where we see the NFC North. And again, this is it's May thirteenth as of this recording, so I reserve the right to change my opinion on. Everything I've just said, 
by the time we get to August. But as of right now, how do you see the NFC North shaking up? Is 9-7 and slash 10-6 and good enough to win the NFC North? And do the Vikings get into the playoffs? Yeah, so the way I have it, uh, the Vikings at 10-6, and six, I think that gives them the division. I'll put Green Bay at 9-7, and seven, right, kind of right behind them. Uh, I'll probably throw Detroit in there at six and seven ten. and not seven and nine, six and ten, somewhere in there as the third place team in the division. And I have Chicago uh, in fourth and in last place. I think they're going backwards and they don't have a quarterback answer right now. Trubisky's not the guy clearly, and it's so funny that they keep saying, "Oh yeah, we trust Mitch Trubisky," and then they decline his fifth year option and then they Nick trade Foles. for Nick Foles instead yeah. of I don't know Cam Newton yeah. or anyone else out there really i mean there's other options andy dalton was another option that was out there until recently. seven million dollars for andy dalton by the way would you rather yeah. pay him or and nick Mitch Foles getting what like 20 some million or something yeah. like that so uh but anyway it's i think the bears are going backwards they lost a lot of defensive uh pieces um uh, i think the bears will be five ish wins this year fair enough all right so that concludes our our schedule analysis upon release. Uh, this is something that I'm sure will come up throughout the summer here. Uh, but that's how we see it right now. Nine and seven for me, ten and six for Drew. Um, and we'll see. I mean, so much can change with just the world between, yeah. between well, now and, and when the that's season starts. Too, if there's not a training camp or anything at all or any of that stuff, like I will think less of the Vikings just because of how right. many rookies are coming in right. and how much is changing versus someone like Green Bay who will play with a lot of the same guys just because – that's they didn't draft anybody new they have a couple new receivers they have a new linebacker really but that's about it yeah all right so let's uh let's use that as a bridge to our final topic here before we wrap things up and talk a little bit about one of those rookies that the vikings brought in here and that is iowa quarterback nate stanley you might be wondering why we're starting our analysis with nate stanley and again The reason why we're doing this is because I read the comment section and I took some heat for my analysis of Nate Stanley, which admittedly was not very good. I threw him, I threw him under the bus immediately, and I'm again upon review, you'll hear you know a more, um, a more complete analysis of his player. But I still think that my my stance on him stands. That that has not changed. It wasn't very nice, and I was very discreet about what I had to say about Nate Stanley. So I'm going to give you 10 minutes of why I don't like Nate Stanley now. Ultimately, that's what this this is what that's why, you know, that's what this comes down to is this player to me is just a quarterback. Okay, there's nothing more, nothing less. He is a quarterback that plays the position. That's the best thing that you can say about Nate Stanley. Okay, I went through three games. All right. I went through Minnesota. I went through Michigan. I went through Wisconsin. I went through the all 22. I saw both angles. I went through everything I could. And I used, you know, my 2016 football IQ to evaluate this player the best I could. Then I also went through the Jordan Reed draft guide and compared my analysis versus his notes. And this is what I have came up with. Okay. These are my main sticking points with Nate Stanley as a quarterback. Keeping in mind, of course, is the sixth round quarterback, the Vikings drafted out of Iowa. Okay. Arm strength is very good, but his touch and overall arm talent is mediocre at absolute best. 
his deep ball accuracy is about 18%. And I'm not making that number up. That's the number that I used off of the three games that I just watched him play. Anything that traveled over 20 yards in the air was either going to be intercepted or fall incomplete, probably short of his receiver. It's not because he doesn't have the ability to drive the ball 60 yards downfield. He certainly does. He has the prototypical frame for what you're looking for in a quarterback, and his size and strength is standard for the NFL. It's just that when he throws the ball up in the air, it doesn't land in his receiver's hands. That's just how it is. Okay? Again, I watched Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin. Those are the three games that I'm using to kind of get my overall standing on this player. Pocket presence, very average. His awareness is not good. He doesn't see the blind side at all. And granted, he was playing with Tristan Wirfs, so he does have that ability to not even have to think about his blind side most of the time. But when he had pass rushers coming after him, he was completely unstable. He threw ducks. There was nothing good about his ability to escape the pocket, and he never sees the pass rush coming. It just, and it just doesn't happen for him. It doesn't compute that a free rusher is coming right into his face. He doesn't break tackles either. However, if he does get outside the pocket, I will say he looks a lot like Kirk Cousins, which is you know, good or bad depending on how you feel about Kirk Cousins because he does a great job rolling out on a play action and throwing the ball 15 yards downfield to a wide-open receiver. Okay, that's one thing that he does very well, but he's never going to beat you with his legs. So in the contemporary NFL, it's generally good to be able to move in the pocket and to be able to move outside the pocket as well. That's just how it is now. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, you know, Deshaun Watson, of course, Lamar Jackson. This is the standard now for great NFL quarterbacks, the, the mobility aspect. Nate Stanley is never going to beat you with his legs. He is a statue in the pocket, and when he is asked to roll out, granted, he can throw a dart on the run because of his talent, but he's not that good at it. So he's not going to beat you with his legs. The best possible thing that you can say about Nate Stanley, okay, is that he is fundamentally exceptional. He does everything extremely well from a robot perspective. When you're looking at a quarterback and you say, okay, can this guy drop on 3, 5, and 7? Does this guy get the ball out of his hand with a quick release? Does he hold the ball too low when he's got pass rushers coming? Does he keep two hands on the ball when he notices a rush is closing in on him? All of these things... Stanley does very well, and this is why he is going to be a clipboard holder in the NFL, because he knows how to play the position extremely well. It's just that he doesn't do anything special. Nothing. There's nothing special about this guy's game, but he throws a hell of a slant route, and my God, that guy can throw the best eight-yard out that I've ever seen. He does not miss out routes, but he can't do anything beyond 15 yards most of the time. He shoots about 30% completion. And then if you go even deeper to 30, 40, 50 yards, it drops down to about 18. So I just don't see NFL quarterback with this guy. Straight up. So based on what I'm hearing, based on what I watched a few times in the college football season last year, I, I am with you in that I did not study Nate Stanley uh, in draft. I didn't study many players at all, and I would not have pegged Nate Stanley as a guy to watch. Uh, and then based on what I've seen from Jordan Reed's draft guide, uh, and you mentioned the Kirk Cousins comparison. Honestly, lots of similarities. Uh, he's not terribly mobile. He stands tall in the pocket, uh, notices the pressure late, uh, and doesn't move soon enough. Right? That's, <laughs> the awareness that, that's is a, ridiculous. That's the weakness, right? That's the yeah. weakness. Okay. Not very mobile, but like in terms of 
throwing on the run, like he is accurate still on the run. Like when yes. he's moving and throwing on the run, it's accurate. Um, the really big difference then to me is just accuracy past 10 yards. Like Kirk is extremely like elite level accuracy Absolutely. down the field and has the deep ball in his arsenal. Uh, Stanley does not. And so, and that's, that's remember, right? Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick. Stanley mm-hmm. is what? Sixth, seventh, something like that from the yep. Vikings. Like as prospects, I don't think there's a ton different between the two of them. Both, uh, both big besides, 10 quarterbacks too. Right. Besides that deep ball, uh, 10, 15 yards and deeper accuracy and ability to throw the ball. There's not a ton different uh, from these two, two, two prospects. Like, you know, Jordan Reed men- mentions the mental clock as a weakness for Stanley. You can see that in the, at the NFL level with Cousins a little bit, right? Uh, yeah. Not noticing pass rushers there soon enough and then getting hit from the blind side uh, and maybe turning it over or what have you. So there's they're similar in that respect, and if you if you're a Cousins fan, you can be optimistic about that because there are things that can be uh, that can make Stanley a serviceable replacement if necessary in a game where he can you know he's he'll like you said he's fundamental he will run through his progressions he'll make sharp accurate throws that are you know shorter uh, and not necessarily um, deep routes um, or he, if he's not asked to do too much down the field he can manage an offense that way. Uh, the, then, you know, if you're, of course, if you're a Kirk Cousins, I guess, hater would be the term. Uh, you see all those weaknesses in pocket movement, uh, no mobility, um, you know, a weak arm down the field. And then you suddenly think this guy's not going to be anything in the NFL. So I do think I see a lot too, of like the Sean Manning aspect. We're like very, you know, uh, very good at, in the locker room as a like quarterback guru. He's a leader so for sure. He's got the He's intangible like a, traits got the like the coaching aspect right mm-hmm. like that's what sage rosenfeld was brilliant at too is being a coach for other quarterbacks and then just knowing how to essentially kind of call a game or help call a game on the sidelines clipboard holder and i think stanley could be that guy too so uh he has great backup potential uh in the nfl i think but I, it's just as a starter if he can somehow figure out how to magically you know turn that that deep ball into something as a weapon from 10 15 plus yards down the field he could actually be a starter similar to what kirk has accomplished see the problem with having such a inefficient deep ball when you get to the nfl is that if it's inefficient in college you could be damn sure it's going to be inefficient in the nfl and the biggest problem with mr stanley here isn't that he doesn't have the arm strength it's the touch so when he throws 40 yards downfield that ball, it's it, it should go further. He's just not getting it there for whatever reason. Maybe it's a mental thing. I don't know, but he's not. He's just not throwing it into his receivers' hands, and he's giving cornerbacks the opportunity to intercept yeah. passes. He almost lost the game against Minnesota on a comeback route in the end in the red zone. But I, I can't remember who the corner or the defensive back was for Minnesota. But he dropped it. If he catches that ball, Minnesota wins that game. And for the record, if there is any film that justifies Nate Stanley as not just an NFL draft pick but a potential NFL player, it's his game against Minnesota. The first two drives that he that he quarterbacked were absolute aces. You can't do it better. He moved the ball down, efficient, down the field efficiently. He was completing short and intermediate passes, different styles, different routes, so slants, outs, uh, stop and goes, comebacks, curls, all of those things. He was doing all that extremely well against Minnesota and he was incorporating the play action as well and they were running the game efficiently against Minnesota so he, everything was working on all cylinders so if you're looking for 
kind of the Nate Stanley tape to suggest that this guy can be an NFL player, watch Minnesota because he played extremely well against your Gophers. At the same time, he played terribly against Michigan. Like, just absolutely dreadful. He had five interceptable passes by my count. One of them did get intercepted. And this was the Michigan team that was winning games like 15 to 12 last year. They didn't even need to put up that many points to win, and yet he couldn't get there. Who does that sound like to you? Every Vikings quarterback not named Brett Favre or Kirk Cousins, basically. Guys that just Christian Ponder. I mean, he's just he's just not good enough. And it's not personal with Nate Stanley. It's just he's not he's there's nothing special about him. You need to be truly special. There's 32 guys in the in the world that get to start for NFL teams and there's like 40 guys in the world that gets to play quarterback for NFL teams. Nate Stanley is not one of them. It's just it's not that he's a bad prospect. It's not that he was undraftable. It's not that he doesn't even have skill. It's just that he's not special. And that's ultimately, that's the difference between, you know, Trevor Lawrence and, hell, Justin Herbert. Like, that's the difference. It's, like, it's just the, the special element. It's unquantifiable. I don't have a PFF number to give you. But th- there is a difference between players who can do things fundamentally and then who players who can do f- things fundamentally with excellency. Nate Stanley, not one of those guys. All right. This was like a very, very good breakdown of a, of a draft, draft prospect. We should maybe do this more. Yeah. That I, was like that was like really detailed. Like you, like your first little rant of like, I don't know, three <laughs> minutes or four minutes, whatever it was, was basically anything you could possibly want to know about Nate Stanley. I don't think that there's anything else. I mean, so these are, these are my notes from Minnesota. I'll, I'll hand these out. I'll give you guys these because I really do think that he was great against Minnesota. My very first note, deep ball is suspect. That was the first game that I watched of him. That was the first note. Throws well from outside the pocket. Throws the out route extremely well. Throws a good slant. First two drives against Minnesota were aces. I literally just said that. Uh, play action looks good. Should have been intercepted on a comeback route late in the game. Very little escapability. Doesn't maneuver well in the pocket under pressure. That was one game of film. And then you get deeper into it. He had a chance to win against Michigan and a chance to win against Wisconsin. And you Iowa fans out there know he lost both those games. He just doesn't quite have it. There's some things that are great about his game, but he just doesn't quite have it. And that's that's a wrap on Nate Stanley. And that's a wrap on the show, for what it's worth, too. So, uh, any nice. closing thoughts that you have here? We just appro- we just hit an hour. Yeah, no, I have no more closing thoughts. This is good. Good. Excellent. Great timing uh, on that. If it, we just hit an hour, I love that. If there's any other prospect that anyone wants to fight with me on, I'm happy to watch three games of film on them and do the exact same thing. Otherwise, next week, Drew and I will go over some more prospects more in depth. We haven't decided which ones yet, so it's a little bit of a wild card, but that's the game plan moving forward. So uh, make sure to check out the Climbing the Pocket Network if you're not already. If you're looking for more in-depth breakdowns like I just did, that's literally what every other guy at Climbing the Pocket does on a regular basis. It's just not what this show does. So if you're looking for that, find find those shows. They do an excellent job. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, etc. You can watch us on YouTube. Uh, the Climbing the Pocket Network is working on their YouTube channel right now. Kind of starting to beef it up a little bit. So keep an eye on that. And uh, I think that's about all I've got for you guys. So as always, we appreciate you listening. Make sure to check out the uh, Daily Norseman comment section. I will be in there looking for what you have to say and looking for ideas for our next show. Poke poke the bear again on some prospect. I, I'd be very entertained. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. 
Thank you for listening as always, and we will catch you next week.